0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's show is brought to you by Excusify. Excusify is an excuse generator. Let's face it, honesty is boring. A lot of people are tired of making excuses. We all lie, but now we can tap into a brand new app and have new, exciting, creative excuses for all occasions. Sorry I didn't call you back. I'm going into the Witness Protection Program voluntarily, and they needed to change my identity again. I'm sorry the report is late. I've lost the gravity in my house, and I've been trying to grab my keys for four days. I know the bill was due last week. I am a multimillionaire, but I also have temporary amnesia, and I can't remember where my bank is. Don't just lie. Excusify. And we have a new show on the Mental Health Comedy Network combining two of TV's most popular genres, home renovation and true crime. It's Flip This Bloody House, with design experts that renovate crime scenes. There are two crimes here, a mass murder and this couch. Flip This Bloody House. Good morning. Good afternoon and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. My name is Ed Krasnick. I'll be your co-host. My partner Jennifer Kalari coming along shortly, and our special guest today. I'm so glad to have him. is an old friend, one of the best comics ever, winner of the San Francisco uh, Stand Up Comedy Competition, International Comedy Competition. Terrific guy in in many ways, uh, and and really. One of the best satirists around, and we'll talk about the death of satire and when it's coming back. uh, And that's Johnny Steele. Johnny will join us in just a minute. Welcome to the show. You know, we're the show that talks about mental health. We talk with comics, we talk with entertainers, we talk with visual and performing artists from all over the world. And we not only talk about it, but we practice skills. We practice resilience skills because, unbeknownst to many people, mental health is a practice. It's a topic. It's a great topic. A lot of people are talking about it, which is wonderful, erasing the stigma of of mental health, around mental health. But it's really a practice. We practice everything in life. We practice knitting. Why don't we practice how we relate to our thoughts and feelings? And why don't we learn about how our brain works? Well, that's what this show is about. And that's why we have Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer has a wonderful organization called ConnectedParenting.com. She teaches resilience skills. There are books, there's media, there are podcasts, there's all kinds of classes that you can take. She teaches about parenting and self-parenting, which is something that I never heard of before, and now I understand what it's about. It's very hard to be a parent without self-parenting. And I can speak from personal experience. My daughter's Tell All book will be coming out shortly. Yeah, so we're learning. We're, we're learning these kinds of things. There's no perfection in it. It's just practicing. It's rehearsing the moments in life that give us uh, trouble. And now, of course, there's a huge, this is a huge transitional time when people are trying to figure out how to re-enter the world. It's almost like people are trying to re-enter the world without realizing that we've just been through <laughs> a year of Armageddon. How do you deal with, how do you come out of, of Armageddon? First of all, you have to take your armor off. I feel like that. and I'm trying to figure that out. And that's what we're going to talk about today on the show. Part of what we'll talk about is how you come out, how you re-enter the world. Uh, I'm in no rush. I know a lot of people are. The people who run high with anxiety, this, if you've been lucky enough to be well and, and safe and have basic needs met, you're actually doing okay because you're, you're familiar with being anxious. But if you're not somebody like that, you've been thrown into hell. So now that we're going back into life, the anxious people are getting worried again. And uh, I, I'm one of those. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about reentering the world. We'll talk about ADD a little bit. What is ADD? And, and really, I think we've all heard the term, but how does it actually work? And how do you calm an anxious brain? I'd like to talk about that a little bit. But we always start the show by welcoming people who are listening, and no matter what emotional state you're in, here are emotional shout-outs. If your therapist has suggested doing the hokey-pokey to deal with your anxiety, welcome. If you've consulted a Ouija board with the question, is it safe to go to live events now, welcome. If you're using hand puppets to communicate your needs with your spouse, welcome. Welcome. If you wish there were actually a medicine called a chill pill so you could take a fistful, welcome. If you watched the Ken Burns Civil War series and you thought it was news footage coming from today, welcome. If you've gotten a tarot reading and the Queen of Resentment card keeps coming up and you don't know what it means, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now, I want to talk with Jennifer. Jennifer, uh, our visitor from the North and the South, the first lady of serotonin the queen of dopamine um jennifer what what's going on first of all and secondly i'm guessing that you're seeing a lot of people who are maybe even reticent to rejoin the world
1: yeah definitely it, it i mean it's funny because i have clients from all over the world so i'm seeing people in various stages so a lot of my clients are from canada from ontario and they're not doing so well because they're in uh, the third lockdown and they just extended it for 2 weeks so my families and my kids that I work with there are just, they're so done. They're just beside themselves. And then my clients in the States and certain parts, parts of Europe are, are, you know, doing what you're describing, getting back out into the world. And, and I'm definitely seeing an increase in anxiety. You know, more, you know, kids who weren't that nervous and parents too, who weren't that nervous about being out there suddenly feeling like it's noisy and there's a lot going on and what do I do? And, you know, people have been in the comfort of their, or discomfort, I guess, of their homes and teenagers have been in their rooms for, you know, a good part of a year. So, listen, we're all figuring out as, as we go along how to manage all this, but definitely, definitely an increase in social anxiety for sure and just being out in public.
0: How do you open up to this whole thing and open up to the idea that you're going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to have different, different kinds of emotions, you're going to feel stress. you're going to feel all kinds of things? What do you do about the, the anxiety over, is it safe to be out there?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a hard one because it's different for everyone. Like, it, you know, when families were in lockdown, everyone had a different idea of what was safe, you know, it caused a lot of conflict. The same is true for going back out into the world again. I mean, I think part of it is just two things. One is just normalizing it that everyone's experiencing this. You're not alone. Like we're all kind of figuring it out. And I even noticed it when I was watching in the middle of the lockdown, I'd be watching TV or movies and I'd see people hugging or in a crowded room and I'd be like, oh, right. I don't even just my brain just kind of identified that now as something kind of alarming. So it's sort of normalizing that it's, it's the way the brain's trying to keep us safe. You know, the second part is just what you just said, Ed, just recognizing that it's there, honoring those feelings, you know, knowing that that's kind of normal and recognizing them first. You know, one of the biggest things about having anxiety is to just, you're not, you are not your anxiety and you can observe your anxiety. And there are ways to get your frontal lobe back on so that you can regulate and manage your anxiety so you can get back out into the world and expect it to be a bit uncomfortable and weird and, You can take it slow if if you're lucky enough to take it slow and just kind of recognize you're not, your anxiety is not a bad thing. It's not out to get you. It's not this terrible thing. It gets such a bad rap. Like you need anxiety. If you don't have anxiety, you're a mess. Like you, you won't show up to work. You'll, you'll scream at people. Like you need a healthy amount of anxiety to keep you safe and to help you manage in kind of a pro social way and stay in harmony with people. When you feed it, when you let it win, it just doubles down on you, not because it hates you and it wants to ruin your life, but it's just doing too good of a job saving you.
0: And what is a quick way to actually get your frontal lobe back online? Like, what what are things that you can do where you can actually say, I'm going to stop working from a fight or flight perspective? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shortcut that right now. I'm going to do it in this moment and it's something yeah. that I can do.
1: Well, I think the easiest thing, and we've talked about this one before, but this one is one I use all the time. You literally put your hand on your heart, put your hand on your chest, breathe out. Do like a kind of sigh out, like, right? And then basically just say to yourself, I feel this way because I care so much. And my anxiety cares so much about me but I'm not actually in physical danger right now. I'm actually not in a life or death fight or flight moment. Even, even just doing that puts you in the role of being the observer makes you aware of how your body's responding. And that might just be the, the moment that you need. And that, that breath out is really important because everyone tells us to take a dig, deep breath in. Right. But if you, I don't know, somebody just jump scared you or you just saw something, you know, through the corner of your eye that alarmed you, the first thing you do is take a huge breath in, <gasps> which actually sends a signal to the brain that you needed to collect a whole bunch of oxygen and perhaps run away. So the important thing is to do the opposite. Take a little breath in and a big breath out, like a, whew, like a big star. Like you thought you lost your phone, but there it is. Or you thought you know something terrible happened and, and it's okay. The body's response when you're suddenly okay is to take a big breath out. So the sigh breathing, the is actually really really important
0: yep which is in, in my family growing up people sighed you know they were, they were there could have been an olympic games of sighing <laughs> and we would have been gold medalists i had an aunt who sighed she came in sighing she'd walk <laughs> in the house and she would go oh
1: okay well there's two different kinds of sighing don't do that kind don't right. do the oh or the that's you know, not don't so do good. that kind of sighing that's more like um Oh, here we go again, right? Yeah, that's, yeah.
0: that's the Krasnick Crisis that, Center and gift shop. Yeah.
1: That's not the kind of sign I'm talking about. I'm talking about when, I don't know, you're at the mall or something and you thought you lost your kid for a second, then you find them. Oh, that kind of sign.
0: Yeah. <sighs> okay. So more more of that kind of thing. And and also, I think, you know, if you're trying to, again, be, you know, what if you're trying to be physically close with people again? I mean, what if you're the kind of people who touches everybody? You know and i'm not talking about somebody who should be locked up i'm just talking about an ethnic person who likes to you know communicate that way i went to hug somebody the other day and they gave me the heisman trophy football pose which i don't appreciate but which is very uh, classic it's a classic pose <laughs> at any rate i'm just looking for a way to get that joke in no but that but that could happen Let's bring on our guest, because this gentleman, no stranger to anxiety, by the way, but also one of the most creative people I've ever met, constantly creative, winner of the San Francisco International Comedy Competition, and an actor, a writer, a creator, a musician, all of these things, Johnny Steele. Johnny, first of all,
2: have we lessened your anxiety or have we increased it? I uh, slightly increased it because now there's so much more to remember. See, that's my problem. It's like, oh, I'm actually scribbling notes and I could see the little thing on the, on the, uh, you know, this volume thing on my uh, computer going up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm ruining the podcast because I'm scribbling notes Yeah, maybe I should try a different pen because they're making too much noise and the, someone's life is going to be saved out there, but they're listening and they're like, this woman, Jennifer has such a great, I can't hear this, so And then they hang themselves and then I'm responsible and I don't know how that happened. I'm just trying to be a good student.
0: Yeah, they hang themselves and you're, you're a seismologist. So you were a radio host on Live 105 for, for a long time. I mean, you've done TV, you've done radio, you've done all kinds of things and you've been in this insane comedy business for a very long time. But the mental health of a comedian of what goes through your mind and how you take care of yourself in a club setting in a performance area, what have you learned about that and how do you how have you managed that over the years because you're one of the best you're one of the best performers you know I've seen, but I know it hasn't been an easy thing
2: Well, you know, I was in the San Francisco comedy competition a couple of times before I won the comedy competition, and I sort of learned what things made me nervous and what to avoid and watching other comics. If they had a joke that appeared similar to one, I was, I would freak out. If they had a joke I thought was not clever and was pandering and maybe cheerleading in some way. And the audience rose up with excitement. I thought, well, this is not my audience clearly. (laughs) So, so the way I won was, and this is a large part of it. I just asked the MC, I said, I'm going to stay outside of the building. And then when it's one act before me, remember in those days in the preliminaries, it was a five minute, six minute set. So I said, when you, as soon as you introduce the guy right before me or the gal right before me, come out and tell me, and then I'll know I'm going up next. And I just went in and I owned the room. It was my room. I didn't have any idea or concern what happened before. And I wasn't double, you know, overthinking it and double guessing myself. I just marched into the room, grabbed the mic, did my set and walked out of the building. And so that was one trick that really helped me, you know, to sort of stop second guessing, just take charge of the situation like that. That was very helpful to me.
0: These kinds of skills that you learn, does that translate to, you know, hey, I I know when I need space and I'm going to
2: take it in life. It's a good idea for a family reunion. Stay out for most of the family reunion. When the food goes down, waltz in, where's my lasagna? Gobble it down and get the hell out of the building. That's my advice. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Get out of there.
0: Get out of there.
2: You don't want to have a conversation with your brother-in-law about the Middle East. No way. You just get the lasagna and out you
0: go. Stick and move. Stick and move.
2: This scene, now I'm already having anxiety because you guys are trying to help the world and you've made a question, you presented a question and I found like one verb to leap off of with a stupid joke. <laughs> no, and now no. I don't even know what the question is. And the test is tomorrow. The and test I is tomorrow. You know yeah. what I realize about procrastinating just yeah. and, and doing this type of thing? I mean, people say, oh, I procrastinate. You pro- no, I, pro- I, I, I haven't yet decided who I'm asking to the prom. You know, this is, these women have gotten married. Some of them are dead. Two or three of them are married. They've moved out of the state. I don't even have a tuxedo rented. How is this going to work out? It's ridiculous.
0: You were going to ask them now. Now would be a good time. Now is the time. I, my, I see, I don't procrastinate, but I do procrastinate,
2: Ah. which is the process
0: of putting off being myself. Yeah. That's what I do and that's huh. a whole different world but no but no so i i get this i mean i i understand we speak the same language here i understand now but how do you calm down an anxious brain because you of all people, I mean, you think about forty different things at once.
2: Oh my God, you're not kidding. Yeah, yeah. You talked about anxiety earlier, and I think the anxiety. I mean, I I'm not. I'm, you know, I mean, you were way ahead of the game back in the. You were, you were, when you were in your 30s in San Francisco, you were like, you know, as far as this goes, you were like a spiritual guru of like 80. You know, you you shouldn't have had an apartment. You should have had a, a just a cave up on Mount Davison in San Francisco. And we could have come up and asked Ed for advice because you were way ahead of this. And I'm not. I come from an ex-jock background. And I think the anxiety brings procrastination. And so just to answer your question, which I seldom do uh, any, ever answer anybody's question, uh, especially when it's being recorded, because I know it'll be used tomorrow. The woke are going to say you can't use nouns. And then it's going to be, oh, Johnny did a whole thing. Nouns are racist. Oh my God. Will you sanctimonious people stop it? Nouns are not racist. Calm down. Um, for me, it's often been, well, comedy, that's one thing, you know, uh, black dark humor. I've always been more edgy and a little more dark in my humor. So that's one of them. And then athletics i mean i grew up in a football family my uncle john was who i'm named after was drafted to the, uh, by the brooklyn dodgers in like uh 19 talking about bad timing to show up in camp in 1942 so hitler had a different plan yeah whenever you think <laughs> things you've had bad timing imagine that you're not going to play for the brooklyn dodgers you're going to the battle of the bulge hey wait a minute what happened um right So, so I come from My dad is, uh, you know, in the my high school hall of fame, three years undefeated in the backfield. And he played with a guy that went to the pros and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, and we can talk about this, you know, if if you like, but you know, it's been a really couple crappy couple, two, three years for me. And there were just times in the middle of winter when we went to that shutdown, when my wife and I had split up and all of my comedy gigs for like a year and a half were canceled Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, 10 days before Christmas. And I just kept, jogging shorts and shoes by the front door. This is absolutely true. And then I would just look around the empty house and, you know, realizing that there was going to be nobody over for Christmas and I was going nowhere and the holidays were going to be spent, you know, and I normally have a big comedy tour with Will Durst, who had had a stroke and was out of it. And then our comedy tour runs the day after Christmas to the weekend after New Year's Eve, every year for 30 years, that was gone. And, you know, with my income, comedy, some of my income, I do other things, but comedy also went my much of my social life. You know, you meet yep. friends at clubs and you carpool to gigs. And so I just I, there would be a point where and, and you know me and I'm like an ex jock kind of crazy pushy guy. And I this wasn't a part of most of my life, just this feelings of panic. I mean panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just anxiety, panic. I mean, I know anxiety, yeah. uh, you know, Jennifer was saying it's good for you. Not yeah. yeah, you want to have anxiety to not jump off the roof when you can't find the ladder, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you want that. But it, it accelerated to a place where I was just uh, barely in control of my emotions. And I would strap on these blue jogging shoes and just, and it would be 10 o'clock at night and, you know, cold and foggy and wet. And I would just run through the streets of Berkeley where I live and just, Something about that. I don't know if it's the endorphins or the blood flow or getting out from these empty four walls or whatever it was. Or, you know, bringing me back, you know, whenever... I'm running or jogging. I'm 18 years old again. I'm playing football in college or something like that. And so, you know, and being cheered, "Yay, Johnny's doing good," or whatever it is, yeah. that you carry with you through life. So that was so, you know, comedy's one answer, which wasn't happening at this time, of course. And then the other answer is um at, just athletics, You're just getting on the bicycle, getting getting the jogging shoes on, the gym's clothes. So that presented a problem for me.
1: There's a lot of evidence that exercise Nutrition, too, was another conversation, but exercise itself can be as effective as medication. It's that important. And you were saying, you know, all the reasons why you thought running helped. I think it's all of those. And then it's also that your midbrain, the part of your brain that is panicking, the part of your brain that doesn't understand that it's a lockdown and you're stuck in your house and all of these things are changing, it thinks you're in danger. Like it just thinks that something's going to eat you. I mean, that's how basic the primitive part of your brain is. And it just wants you to run sure just run get out of there so as long as you're doing that your brain thinks okay good he listened so my brain thinks i'm running from it sort of
2: yeah Yeah. i felt that because i you know you ever have a dog that's got fleas and it sits in one corner and it gets bit and it bitten and it runs across the room to the other side because it thinks (laughs) whatever is in that corner is causing it pain and it flees to the other side of the room but at least with with the dog unfortunately that didn't work but with me it did it did absolutely it saved me it saved me and i ride bicycle a lot but you can't ride bicycle at 11 o'clock at night when the panic hits you. So so the jogging you know, did
1: really help. And the gyms were closed, which I used to hit the heavy yeah. bag in the gym. I was tough on a lot of people who use like the gym to help them with their mental health. But yeah. listen, the running, I think, saved you. I think it's important. And and sometimes the state changed too. Like Even though you were describing that it was cold and foggy, but sometimes just moving, getting into a different space can help your brain and, and, and breathing that cold air. There are tough, lonely times right in the middle of lockdown, and people are still in it. Like, yeah, they're still in it right now.
2: You know, you're you're right about that because um, it was foggy and damp and it was the, the holiday season and it was otherworldly. I mean, you yeah. couldn't see a block and you can see the holiday Christmas lights in the fog yeah. in the distance. And there was something and it was silent and there were no cars out, no people, no cars. And I ran down the middle of the street and it was other, it was a little yeah. bit like a dream and it was otherworldly. And it really. Really helped, and the other thing uh, that helped, and Ed and I have talked about this, is I have uh, a, a lot of friends up here uh, in the mental health and AA world and and whatnot. And I went through a thing where a friend of mine was drinking too much, and that sort of caused a lot of trouble for me. And she uh, got me. She said, "Well, what are the things that have happened in the last, you know, two and a half years of your your life?" And I just told her, "You know, I lost my mom, I lost my dog, my house caught fire. On stage at a private corporate gig, I ripped my bicep off my arm in front of oh 150 my. people." <laughs> Yeah. It took, yeah, it Crazy. took you know, 10 weeks in a sling, three months of recovery. And in the middle of that, we were living in, a, in a, the building that was being remodeled. And as soon as the remodel was done, the pandemic hit. And then my wife and I started having troubles. I mean, when your wife says, here's a, here's a question you never ask your wife. When she says, I think I need a little space. Uh, and I, you don't ever want to ask how much. And then when she says Portugal, you mean oh, you mean like the Atlantic Ocean and oh. continental North America? That's about that's, that's, a, lot that that's a lot of space. That's a lot of space. That's a big space. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and yeah. so, and so I so my friend end of the story is my friend uh, who had nose and um, uh, Susan Williams. She said, you know, you've 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 suffered trauma. And yeah. coming from a background of like being you know blue collar town jock guy, I didn't allow myself. And I still have trouble. You know, I always thought that mm-hmm. trauma was, you know, people who live through war or people who suffer, you know, horrible crime or people have to sit through a live performance mm-hmm. of cats. You know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> there's no midnight. kind of trauma it's like that. Yeah. That's it's difficult.
2: midnight and the tra- oh, <laughs> turn it off! Um And so I, I didn't. And I still barely allow myself to understand that when you, you know, there's always that thing you hear, which sometimes helps and doesn't. Somewhere someone is suffering much worse. And so, like, that's supposed to sometimes make you feel like, oh, well, heck,
1: I guess this isn't so bad.
2: But, well, sometimes you know, it
1: does the opposite and it makes yeah. you feel like, oh, who am I to, to be sure. in this pain and struggling? It makes things a hundred times worse. And trauma, is that, that does sound like trauma to me. And trauma lives in the body. It can be earth shattering.
2: Yeah. Well, she gave me, you know, a bunch of symptoms. Like, yep. Yep. Can't sleep. Yep. Nightmares. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, uh, anxiety about little tiny things that you can't mm-hmm. seem to push away. You know, I yeah. wonder if I tighten, I mean, it's just crazy. I wonder if I tighten those lug nuts enough at that flat tire, you know, oh. I'm going to veer off the road and kill everyone. You know, it's just, <laughs> it, it, I'm not, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. It's No, you're not. Like
1: anxiety is literally like that. Like I, yeah. I've described it on the show, like, like a big, Dumb guard dog, right? Just this goofy dog that just wants to keep you safe. And you you go and get this dog, and it's like, okay, this dog's gonna keep me safe. And at first it just barks people outside the house, and then it barks at everyone in your house, and then it barks at anyone who comes near you, and then finally it just sits on you and licks your face and says, yeah. Okay, you're safe. And yeah. I mean it, the intention was it wanted to keep you safe, but it's basically taken over so that you're lying there with a hundred-pound dog on your chest and you can't get up. And that's really what anxiety is. And the more you give into which which if you don't understand what to do with anxiety. And I think in our culture, we're very we get very confusing messages about, about what we call negative emotions, like anxiety or anger. Those emotions are there to guide us. They're our GPS system. And if you're feeling those things, you're off the road. Learning how to manage those things is and that's why when people, you know, I don't want to get rid of my anxiety. You're if you want to terrify yourself, say you're getting rid of your anxiety. Your anxiety is like, what? You need me. Are you kidding? Yeah. And I don't want to get rid of anyone's anxiety. I want to train it, just like the dog. We want the dog in the dog bed, sleeping nicely so you can have a life. And then when you really need it, then the dog comes out. You see? Sure.
2: I see that dog as comedy sometimes. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, getting on stage can allow you to, you know, vent this stuff and feel better mm-hmm. about it. And the other side is we tend to dramatize so much on stage that that a friend, my friend said, um you i never heard this term ed ed knows this term catastrophized sure. and so what happens yeah. what you do is when you when you when you're a comic the kind of comic i was you don't go to hawaii or mexico for a week-long vacation and come back and get on stage and talk about everything that went well <laughs> that's, yeah. there's no there's very little money in there you go yeah. gotta go down there my wife's got a steamer trunk with 48 swimsuits where we go you know so <laughs> no. you know yeah. that's what you do so sometimes yeah. i think i carry that um into sort of catastrophizing other little things partly because I've been rewarded financially and through laughter by getting on stage and making mountains out of molehills and whatnot. And so that's something that I think, oh boy. (laughs) Another thing to have anxiety about is whether or not for the last 30 years I've made a living in part by, you know, exaggerating the importance or the danger of things. And this is the same as true with
0: self-deprecation from, from my point of view, you know, my whole, my whole personality has been formed on self-deprecation. Now the thing is if you believe those things that you're saying about yourself and other people are laughing there's a problem sure because yeah. you're not that yeah. person and yeah. what you, and the messages that you're giving yourself are that you're not worthy
2: what Ed is saying is a lot of comics like me, we outwardly perform. I get on stage and say, I saw this thing and this is stupid and what kind of moron believes this. And self-deprecation or self-effacing humor is when you mostly make fun of yourself sound, and your you own know, shortcomings. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. what Ed did well. Ed was very good at it. And a lot of times he wasn't so good at it. So we picked up the slack and then made fun of him as well.
0: Yeah. And that's what was so great is you get the community helping, which is yes. a good thing. And confirming your worst suspicions. But what I'll say about, you know, and, and Jennifer, you can speak to this much sure, better than sure. I can. But what I'll say is that Johnny lists this litany of things that would bury most people. OK, it's a litany of things that have gone horribly. You know, there have been horrible, very difficult challenges okay, that are real and they're traumatic. OK, well, what happens in our culture and in the world and just in mental health in general is that we're taught that there's something wrong with acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. There's something not right about simply saying, like, what's the response to pain? The response to pain is, oh, I feel pain. It's not, I don't feel pain, and now I'm going to produce something else. It's, I felt pain. Part of the issue is rewiring yourself to allow to say, it is traumatic, and I have been through these things, and I'm actually admitting it.
1: Well, Ed, this is such an important conversation. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to like the, the, the one piece that I want to speak to is you don't have to be a comic for this to be true. People walk through their whole lives narrating everything that's going wrong. That's how they think. That becomes habitual. That just becomes brain firings. And then your brain just gets used to doing that and collecting information that way. There is a way to do that and still be funny and still keep your livelihood, but not live it the rest of the time. We'll come back to that. But I want to speak to what you were just saying, Ed, about emotional pain. And we're so ridiculous in our culture. Like if some, if you were walking down the street with a friend and they fell and their knee is gushing, you would not say, you know what, your other knee's fine. Like, look at all the people who are walking and didn't fall. Like, they're all okay. Yeah. Like, you're just lucky you, it was only one. Like, we would never do that to someone, ever, right? But we do it all the time emotionally. And as parents, we do it to our children as well. Or we overreact to their emotions, which is another problem. But just being able to recognize that that emotional pain is pain. It's actually in the same part of your brain. It looks the same on an MRI. It's the same.
2: My dad um, passed away a number of years ago, and he uh, had brain damage, and I still think almost certainly due to football. And it made him sort of... Angry and irritable and snappish and whatnot. And mm-hmm. we all sort of dealt with it that way, like walking out of the room. Whereas if he were having a seizure or short of breath, we would not have done that. You exactly. know, we would have said, Hey, what's the root of this? And I still feel guilty now, uh, years later, that we didn't address it more. Um, right. You know, I just go to the doctor and say, Hey, hey, look, he played a lot of football, he had concussions, he you know, he's acting this way. Just three years ago, he was the funniest, sweetest, happiest guy in the room. Now he's snapping at everybody. This is obviously not just aging. Something is wrong. Can we get a brain scan? Can we get meds to neutralize right. us? And we sort of didn't. We got angry and closed the door and that just
1: a uh, little. Well, and listen, it's hard because, and there's a number of reasons for that. First of all, it's traumatic to see your parent yeah. change so drastically. And in some ways it is easier to believe they're just being a jerk then you're losing them and you're, they're losing the essence of who they are. This happens a lot if you have parents who are suffering from dementia, especially early stages of dementia. And because we don't have good conversations about mental health, we really don't. Having the conversation about what what do negative emotions really mean? What are they doing for you? What was happening there? It starts with ourselves. So if we go back to you know the idea of neurons that fire together wire together. And so that when you get into these thinking patterns, that becomes a habit, just like biting your nails. The good news is you can rewire your brain. You don't lose the old wiring, so you can still be funny as hell on stage. You can still separate in your brain all the things that you're collecting from your trip to Mexico that are funny, and at the same time, be really grateful and be really happy and say, that's my job. That's my job, but I don't have to be doing my job right now this is awesome. And I'm enjoying myself. And you can do that and you can make that separation. But this knowledge about how the brain works and understanding different emotions, that you are not, you're not your negative emotions. You're not your anxiety. You're the thinker of the thoughts. You're the, the observer of that and then just taking that pause and recognize it can change everything. It really can
0: acknowledging thoughts, acknowledging thoughts. The simple acknowledgement that like you always say, Jennifer, there's feelings and thoughts are things that are knocking on your door. And if you don't answer the door, they're gonna knock louder. Yeah. And they're gonna keep coming. And they're gonna gain an intensity and then they're gonna spin and then you're not gonna be able to recognize what's what's a thought and what's a feeling and which came first
1: and where does it come from. Think about this. Where thoughts go Energy flows. Okay. Think about that. You really want to be thinking from moment to moment what am I thinking about? What am I focused on? What am I ranting about in my head? What am I ranting about to my friends? What am I spending my energy thinking about? And your thoughts can change. You can choose to think something else. You can choose to think something neutral. And that doesn't mean sticking your head in the
0: sand and being the power of positive thinking. It just means acknowledging that there are thoughts going on Mm -hmm. and that you can reach for better thoughts. You can read, you know, this has been going on for thousands of years. I always bring up Marcus Aurelius and Mark, as I call him, Mark. (laughs) And I used to call him up and I'd say, Mark, what's going on? And he'd say, oh, it's one of those days because the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. You're bothering me. You're an assassin. You'll be killed. There's no question. (laughs) It's not a philosophy. It's not a high mindedness. It simply is taking all the energy that you use because you are using that energy to yeah. think
1: the worst,
0: yeah. and that's energy. That's, you, you're actually doing that.
1: Yeah. If you have time to do all the worrying, you have time to not do it. It's that simple. First, go into the emotion. Let yourself feel it. Just acknowledge that it's there. Sit in it a little bit. Don't run from it. We run from it. We buy things and smoke things and drink things, and we try everything in our power to not feel but it just chases you. It'll always catch you. You can't run from it. So sit there and turn around and face it and feel it and honor that you're feeling it. Accept that you're feeling it. See it as information because that's what it is. After a few minutes, you'll literally alchemize it. You will metabolize it. It will go away once it thinks you're listening. And this is not a one-time thing. This, This is a practice, as Ed says but the more you do that then as you feel that that the intensity of that emotion leaving you then you take control of your thoughts and you think about something else you think about something neutral you think about how what's out your window you think about you know the picture on the wall that you're glad you picked it doesn't really matter it's irrelevant just think about something else and when your brain grabs you and tries to get you back repeat and eventually you will rewire
0: and using your imagination we we talk about this a lot too. That imagination is the most powerful tool that you have for mental health. You Absolutely. can imagine what you want life to be, and yep. you imagine it, and you imagine it, and then you feel it. Yeah, it sounds like an acting exercise, but really, we're acting all the time anyway. You're acting as if things are catast- You know, as if certain things that aren't catastrophic are catastrophic. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's an act. You're acting it. So act it the other way. You can turn your, you know, Jennifer always says uh, that comedians have Ferrari brain. It's I a do. fast brain that's associative. Hard to control. And it's, yeah. it's hard to control, but you can change the direction of the brain. You can, it can be fast in the other direction, which is what, a, you know, what's the best thought? What's the highest quality thought? What can we do with this? And it can work in, in either direction. But the first thing is what's going on with me right now? That's a good question to ask. What am I feeling?
2: Yeah, Ed, you mentioned using your, I think you said creativity and whatnot. And there was a comic years ago, Michael Boats Johnson. Remember him? I do. And, uh, yeah. And he talked about how, if you have some uh, stress before a show, imagine that you've just jumped into like a lake and there's moss on you and then wipe your arms from your shoulders to your wrists down. And imagine that you're wiping away, but it's stress. It's all this, this stuff that, that you don't want. and And then the trick, was and jennifer was talking about this i think earlier take a breath And then exhale as you wipe this stuff off. And of course, at the time he told me, I'm like a 28-year-old guy who's windsurfing, doing flips under the Golden Gate Bridge in a storm, going, who needs this stupid crap, man? And then like, (laughs) here I am 30 years later going, okay, take a deep breath, wipe the moss off myself. And, you know, um, talk about get the the, the anxiety and that you have to sort of embrace it to some degree, but not let it overpower you. I visualize that it's an opponent, whether it's on a football field or wherever it might be. And I just sort of take the palms of my hands and chuck it away, just physically, You know, as my football coach used to say, this will tell you how old I am, right? He'd, He'd say... Give it to them in the brisket, son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right under the shoulder pads, in the brisket, you know, de-levitate them, take away their leverage, in the brisket, pop. But but if I can visualize these little things, like visualize, you know, yeah. um, when I had a lot of bad stuff happen, another friend said, come up with some visualization to knock that stuff out of your vision. I yeah. said, well, and it came up with the idea that I used to snowboard quite a bit. And it said, you know, how about a snowplow going down the road and all this crap is in the road. It's not snow, it's crap. And it's just, you're the last breaths of your dog. It's you're tearing your arm off, whatever it is, tearing your arm off on stage and have this plow go down the road and blowing all this stuff off and you're following it 20 feet behind jogging or driving your bike or your car or whatever. And the road is now clear. Visualize. And I thought even at this age, you know, and I should be more enlightened. That's a bunch of crap. It's a guy named Dave Martin, a musician up here, who's just a wonderful musician. And we were talking in a parking lot after my dog died. And he said, boy, you really look down Yeah, I, mean, I had my dog 15 years. I just put him down a few days ago. And he came up with that idea. And I tell you, I just Brilliant. practiced it. I practice it every time the anxiety came over, either in the brisket, like my coach in college, <laughs> or Dave just blowing it off, blowing it out of the way, visualizing it, Mechanically or physically being blown away—that
1: is rewiring. Every time you do that, you are building new neural pathways in your brain. The neuroscience behind this is solid. What you have to understand about the midbrain, like the the frontal lobe, is the part that rationalizes and inhibits and organizes and prioritizes and all of that stuff. And it's—it's sort of like if if you're parenting yourself, that's the parent part of your brain. The midbrain's job is to freak out. Not now. In a minute, I want that whole cake. Like. Run, like it, that's the part of your brain that just panics. And so the frontal lobe's job is to regulate that, to inhibit it, to, to mediate it. And so when you're imagining the snowplow or whacking it out of your head like a baseball bat or whatever the strategy is, your midbrain is so basic. It doesn't care what's going on. It just wants you to take an action. Just do something. Because mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. that part of your brain, there's a tiger standing in front of you that's about sure. to leap at you and you're standing there like an idiot not doing anything about it. So when you use your imagination and that part of your brain can't tell if you're dreaming it, imagining it, if it's happening to you or if it's a memory, it's all the same to that part of the brain. Only the frontal lobe can tell the difference. So when you imagine that snowplow, your midbrain goes, oh, good. And off you go, right? And the more you do that, I mean, it's not that simple, but as you practice this, as this becomes something that you regularly do, your midbrain will settle down and say, okay, I guess he actually does have... Control, because the trickiest part of all of this in this conversation is just like you said, oh, it's not going to work. You know, whatever. You're that's often your anxiety. Your anxiety will literally say, "That's stupid. Don't do that. Oh, what a stupid technique. I think that little thing is going to work." That's the vo- You need to know. You need to learn to recognize that voice. That's your anxiety saying, "Are you kidding me? Don't do those strategies. You need me. Are you nuts? Don't listen to him. Don't listen to her. Listen to me. I'm the only one keeping you alive." And every day that you put your head on the pillow, your anxiety goes, oh, awesome. I did it again. Fantastic. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow with, with an extra pepper this time. Right? Yeah. That's yeah.
0: so funny. I never knew that about uh, Boats Johnson. But people have been saying these kinds of things for, for a long time. But now we're having the conversation about it. Now everybody is talking about uh, mental health. But really, I want to hear practices. I want to hear what people do. So you sharing that, that That's works awesome. for you. Is a great thing, and you have to figure out what your own thing is. And sometimes it's putting your hand on your heart and just saying, I I feel this way because I care too much. And sometimes it's just taking that whoosh breath, that out breath. And sometimes it's just saying, I'm not dying. I'm okay. It's not dangerous. I'm uncomfortable, but it's not dangerous right now. Or it's a mantra, it's a line that you tell yourself, I'm safe.
2: Well, it's people. I have a friend, uh, Dave, a former ad guy that lives near me in in Berkeley here, Alameda, actually. And I call him Zen Dave because his mantra, I'll just say, I need to do this and I need to do that. And the pandemic, I'm like, I found myself getting angry that the pandemic is ending. (laughs) This is how crazy the world is. (laughs) Because when the pandemic started, I go, okay. By all accounts, I'm going to have no gigs and no corporate events and nothing for like 16 months. I'm going to use this time to reinvent myself and 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 recreate. I'm going to come out the other end of this fresh and new. And then, like the pandemic's ending, I'm like, no, the pandemic can't end yet. People must continue <laughs> to I haven't. Don't get these vaccines. I need another three months. And my friend Dave is just like, hey, this is his philosophy. Hey, let's just chill and see what happens. That's what he says all the yeah, time. That's let's that's just that. chill. And I'll say things like, he'll say, what's bothering you, and I'll say, you know, I. turned like an age which is now like 20 years over the age that you're thrown out of hollywood you know i used to call los angeles like the logan's run city capital you know remember that movie logan's run where people 30 over 30 were hunted down and get him he's a runner i'm only 29 (laughs) screw it kill him um and um and so dave so i I said what you know i I said well i had i had the most powerful management in la i had william morris brilstein gray gersh i had a development deal with brandon tartikoff of nbc's to take me to lunch i had an, uh, a project that was in option at comedy central and here i am you know at this age with all my gigs gone and sitting here and he's like he's like you know dude for 30 years you've made your life your living either an incredible amount of money from stand-up by bay area standards not by la standards but or you've supplemented your income you've done radio and tv shows you hung out with david bowie you have hung out with you know celebrities and You've written for famous people, bicycled regularly with Robin Williams. How can this be a failure? What, you know how many people on earth see Robin Williams at an airport from 20 feet away and they weigh, hi, Robin, he waves back and it's the celebrity highlighter, their, you know, whatever yeah. of their yeah. life. And you're, you're, you know, you're hanging out with these people. You're making a living at this craft. You can go on stage almost anywhere and knock out a 10 or 15 minute set confidently And you know how many people would dream of getting on stage for three minutes in my teacher workshop, Zero to Funny, in eight weeks where everybody learns to write jokes. Ed would love this. I try to figure out who they are. Don't try to be someone else. Who are you? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you liberal, conservative, or apolitical? We find out who they are. And then at the end, they're thrilled to do two and a half minutes in front of, you know, 25 friends and family. And so back to my point my friend Dave is like, okay, by your standard, you say, I got friends who are movie stars and friends who created TV shows and made hundreds of millions of dollars. Therefore I'm a failure. He's like, are you, you know, put it in perspective, calm down. So <laughs> sometimes people, there are, uh, I don't know if Ed ever read this book. Steve Allen had a book many years ago, how to be, how to be funnier, how to write funnier, how to be funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the book, the thing I took most from that book is he said, there are people who you will bounce your humor off of and they will kill it. And there are other people that will howl at everything you say. You've you've hooked up with these people, and so I think spiritually, I know it's a word I haven't used a lot in my life, but emotionally, spiritually, however you want to use it, there are people who actually lower your blood pressure, blood pressure, and, and calm course. you down. Yes. and you know my friend Dave is. I have other friends who do that to a certain degree, but Dave is that guy. We love Zen Dave. Well, we yeah.
0: love Zen Dave, and Zen Dave is going to have his own network. Zen Dave, <laughs> Zen Dave is going to have a whole world. No, but that, yeah. but that, you need people like that in I in do. life. I
1: and mean, you know what? And- what he's modeling is letting go, which 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 you'll hear over and over again in a zillion different messages if you pay attention. When you let go, when you stop holding on so tight, and you just kind of let go, and you trust that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. There's going to be a lesson. There's going to be learning whether it's good or bad, when you learn to let go, that's when stuff rushes in. That's when you really make things happen. And it's so counterintuitive. It's so the opposite of what we think. But the tighter you hang on to something and the more you're convinced that something needs to happen in order for you to be okay, the more desperate you become. Sure. Right? And, and what Dave was showing is, look what you already have. That And that's what we're talking about by t- the direction of your thoughts. Do you want to wake up and think all the things you don't have and focus on what you don't want? Are you going to wake up in the morning and focus on all the things you do have and all the things that you have already and all the things that you're going to get because you're already on that path?
2: Ed is like that. Ed Ed has a great thing about acknowledge those little things. And Ed, yeah. I have been doing it since you talked about it. I mean, I was a guy who used to like to stay out till three in the morning doing comedy, eating sliced pizza, chasing waitresses, whatever I did when I was twenty some years old and didn't want to go home and go to bed. And now it's to the point where like, mm, I got that Bill Bryson book awaiting me in bed and my big comfy bed. And I could lay there and not think about anything, but read this book and lay in this incredibly comfy bed. And I acknowledge, it's strange that I would be thinking about Ed as I get into the bed at night. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. You know? To each his
2: own, sexually sure. to each his own. I'm just sure. saying, sure. you know, sure. <laughs> I don't want to roll over and see Ed in his underwear at 3 a.m. <laughs> no, you, no one does, apparently. But I, <laughs> no, I, I, will, yeah. I will take his helpful philosophies, but I do that. I do that when I sit down at night and I've made myself a little snack and I go, "This is." I mean, this is crazy, but this is a giant, big, beautiful salad. I'm mostly a vegetarian guy. Giant, big, beautiful salad. I'm going to watch this show or ball game or whatever it is. And I just, I do take a moment of thanks.
1: That alone is the greatest thing you can do for your mental health, honestly. And I know it sounds corny. And for people really struggling, your brain will not want you to do that. It's going to go, don't look at the good things. First of all, there are any. And second of all, if you do, you're going to lose them. So don't do that. But fight back, fight back. You don't have sure. to pay attention and you can do it in the smallest ways. If you can't think of something positive, then think of something neutral.
0: Yeah. Going neutral is a big thing, especially when you're panicking. Going neutral is a big antidote to that. And the neutral is, I you know I love certain things I love I love music okay I like a certain song think about the certain song I- how about right now I'm wearing pants that's a celebration <laughs> look at that now <laughs> so it's it, it's all of those it's all of the yeah. above now unfortunately we have to we have to stop now which is something that all the therapists that I've had delight in saying <laughs> but I'm not delighting in it
2: Ed our time is up I've only been here eight yeah. minutes
0: well we have to stop now coasters in their offices <laughs> which I don't appreciate <laughs> or did I get a check from you that's my other favorite one in the, in the middle of a, com- a middle of a sentence so anyway you felt this way about your mom did I get a check from you last week and I'm like uh, I, I, I don't know but I don't it doesn't feel good to hear it Um, I had a guy order a pizza once during a session but that's a whole different story that's my my fault that's not his fault i really can't thank you enough for coming and for taking the time johnny
1: thank you johnny
0: you have got to come back there are many many other things that i want to talk to you about there'll be many shows so please come back i'll be in touch with you in the meantime i'm just wishing you well uh all the time and it's a pleasure to hear your voice
2: Ed and Jennifer, thank you very much for helping me and thank you for helping other people for heaven's sake. I mean, this is a thing, you know, I mean, a lot of guys like me, big old ex-jock guy doesn't really understand this and doesn't understand why all of a sudden at a certain point in their life, they're having this, they're they're having this, these emotions, which I never really had to this extent certainly before. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And you know what, it kind of shows that you like, as an athlete, you talked about running. Like if you run, it'll find you eventually. Right, so yeah. turn around and deal with it, right? And and yeah. there's ways to deal with it. So thank you, thank you for sharing everything and being vulnerable. And you were hilarious. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
0: There's physical fitness. There's emotional fitness. And when you do the things that you mentioned, like with the snow plow and the kinds of things that you're that you're looking at yourself, I mean that's emotional fitness. That's wellness. That's well being. That's exceptional for somebody who's been trained the other way. Yeah, it's absolutely. exceptional. Jennifer, thanks again for all You're your welcome. help. And really appreciate it. Go to ConnectedParenting.com and hear the media, the books, the training, the classes, the support, all of the services that Jennifer's organization provides. That's called ConnectedParenting.com. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. Share the show with a friend. It really, really helps. Write a review. Whatever you can do is really helpful. We're trying to build a community here, and we're all together. No one's ahead. No one's behind. We're all the same. When it comes to mental health, we're all children. We're all learning together. So keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time.